things. Everybody is waiting with nervousness about what's going to happen in the future, whether we're looking at politics, news, employment, jobs, recession, inflation. We all have some concern about where all this is going. May not be something you talk about with your friends, coworkers, but I'm sure it's on your mind. Some of the things you have opinions about are the same things that other people have opinions about. What about artificial intelligence? Is it going to took your job? What about EVs? Is it going to shift you out of the kind of driving you like to do? What about real estate? That's the elephant in the room, right? Is real estate going to price you out of ever being able to own a home? Or if you do own a home, are you going to ever, ever be able to move? Maybe you're going to be locked in the house you're in. You can't move. Interest rates, market availability, inventory. Could take a look at all these things today, and not just opinions. We're going to look at the facts, what's happening, and what the people who are insiders are doing and saying. So, as always, one of the things that's a concern, rightfully so, is artificial intelligence. So, what happens with artificial intelligence? Well, first, it's used for innocent type tasks, jobs, maybe proofreading a paper. Maybe it's taking order at the drive-through of fast food. But now AI is doing HR. In order to apply for a job, you can't speak to an actual human. You actually have to talk to a chat bot. I'll bet you have an opinion about that. Put that below. What do you think about AI chatbots? I'm sure it's not going to be good. Even if you are an employer, a boss, company owner, you might not like AI chatbots. What's one example of the experience with this? This person, Amanda Claypool, looking for a job at a fast food restaurant, she faced an unexpected hurdle, glitchy chatbot recruiters. At McDonald's, the recruiter, Olivia, was a chatbot, cleared her for an in-person interview, but then didn't schedule it because of tech issues. The Wendy's chatbot managed to schedule her, but it was for a job she couldn't do. The Hardee's chatbot sent her to an in interview with a manager, but that manager was on leave. So already, that's an experience. And look, this doesn't even have anything to do with the fact that should chatbots be doing interviewing or be doing HR? This has to do with just, are they any good? Are they competent in their role? Do you want to talk to a chatbot or an actual human? Are there more scenarios where you wish you could talk to a real person instead of a chatbot? Or are you of the mindset that if you talk to a person, it's going to be frustrating anyways? Maybe the chatbot or AI is better. I don't know. Thousands of people out there, everybody's going to have a different opinion. I'm sure other people would like to hear your opinion about that too. But this is what's happening. So if you are, ironically, if you are in HR and you're an interviewer, your own job might be at risk of chatbot. Now, granted, you might say, well, they're not actually interviewing. They're just scheduling the interview. Well, that could be true for now. But what if you're the assistant to the interviewer that would schedule it? Now you don't have a job. And even if you are the interviewer, now you don't have an assistant anymore. Because that assistant that did the scheduling 
also probably did some other things for you, right? Some clerical, maybe some administrative type things. Now that person's not there to do that. So it's just creeping. You might not think it's going to do your job, but that's what they're striking about in Los Angeles, the actors, because the chatbots are starting to take over. AI is taking over their jobs. So here's what can happen when you take it a step further. Here's a restaurant hired a robot to help servers. What did that look like? Literally what you can imagine. This is a robot taking orders and delivering food. This is in Oregon, Estacada, not a, a big city type town. It's kind of a little bit out in the country. Why did the person hire it? Well, here's one of the reasons. The minimum wage in Oregon increased to 14, 20 an hour. Food prices skyrocketed, inflation. Finding servers willing to commit to the small town. This is this is 45 minutes outside Portland. You already have a small pool to work from for employees, rural area. So hired, hired this robot. People would literally not want to come to the restaurant because I had a robot. So there's pushback. People want what? An actual human. That's what they want. They don't want a robot. So what did you end up with at the restaurant? Bad reviews, angry messages, that kind of stuff. So you go to a restaurant. Imagine you're at a place like this. Here's a picture of it. Nice little place, right? Looks kind of casual, but clean. Probably has good food. But you have a robot for a server. Is that what you want? Now, I'm sure you've had bad experiences with server. I'm sure you had, they take the wrong order. They don't fill your water fast enough. But maybe robot's not going to be better. I don't know. I mean, none of us probably have experience with it. I've never had a robot as a server. But, and most people haven't. But just anticipating it, what would you rather have? Now, let's talk about jobs in another industry. We're going to talk about contracting. This gets right into real estate. It gets into one of the biggest subjects that people like to hear about. The highest level of open positions is in the construction industry. It needs 650,000 workers to handle the projects that are out there right now. We talked yesterday about an AI robot that can drive construction equipment, diggers, excavators, loaders, skid steers. Because of the shortage of construction workers, some building companies are starting to go to that. Highest level of open positions ever recorded. So little side note, if you at all have any aptitude or interest in doing construction work, swinging a hammer, handyman, basic stuff, you can make a lot of money. We know of colleagues in our industry, in our constructing industry, that are paying $50, $60 an hour to basically day labor. As long as you can you know, be reliable, reasonably intelligent, can do things like framing, maybe cabinets, nothing highly skilled, but average skilled. You don't have to be a journeyman plumber or an electrician or HVAC or maybe even cut countertops. But if you can do tile, flooring, painting, 50, 60 bucks an hour, many parts of the country. Why is it a problem is that the construction industry is short? Well, because as you'll see in the next slide, one major U.S. 
industry and part of our entire financial future is based on some construction. But here's something else that I'm sure you have an opinion on. What is the solution to the shortage of construction workers? Immigration, technology, and raise the profile of construction. So if you are an existing construction worker, you now have a possibility that there'll be immigration that will have more people in your field. Greater use of technology, what does that mean? Well, it probably means something like this, right? Robot, that's probably what it means. Isn't that code? Greater use of technology and raise the profile of construction as a career path. That's probably a good thing because if you are currently a construction worker, that career path is known to you, the value of that career path. You recognize it as, yeah, this is a good thing. I make good money. It's a good job. And it's probably good that it's a good job because one of the solutions to the housing market is home builders. The U.S. housing market is working through a shortage of homes, not a regular shortage of homes, but a major shortage of homes. Builders appear to be the most valuable players. See, here's this guy. He's probably making 60 bucks an hour, that guy. U.S. housing sector is back in full swing. Builders are best positioned to ride the wave. New homes. Why is that? We talked about it before. Resale homes are being hoarded, cling to like your life dependent on it by the current owners. Nobody wants to sell their house that they have right now because they have an interest rate that's low. 3% maybe, 3.5%, 4 could be in the twos. You got 3% mortgage rate, you are not selling no matter what. Do the math. If you have a house, let's say that's 500000 and that may seem like a lot to some people. It may not seem like a lot depending on where you live. But a $500,000 house is not really that big a deal anymore, half a million dollar house. So let's say you have a 500 house. And you're going to move from your current 500 house to another 500 house. Just want to move to a different area, maybe, you know, newer house, maybe have to move for your job. Who knows? You're not even going to upgrade 500 house. And you currently have a 3% mortgage, 3% mortgage. Well, if you sell that house and go and buy another 500 house, same exact price, now you're going to have at least a 7% mortgage, at least 7%. Right now, probably 7.2, 7.3. It's going to be up near 8 within a year, but let's say 7. So now you're going 4 percentage points more. Well, what is 4% of 500000 That's $20,000. And that's not a one-time fee. You ever hear the phrase APR, you know, mortgage rate? APR, 3% APR. Guess what APR stands for? The A stands for annual, which means you pay that every year. So your interest is going to go up $20,000 every year, annual percentage rate. So if you keep your house five years, that's going to cost you $100,000 more on getting the same house. So what most people are doing is clinging to their house with you know, white knuckle. They're not selling it. And maybe taking that same 100000 and putting on an addition if you need more space, right? You're better off doing that than moving to the same price house. God forbid you're moving to a house that's 600 or 700 You want to upgrade. It's going to cost you a lot more. So that's why people are clinging to house. That's why builders right now are swamped. That they can't get 
can't get help. Building new homes might be better than buying. Of course, this is why. Because the median price for existing homes is now more expensive than that of new construction. Why is that? You might think, well, used house isn't worth as much. Yeah, good luck finding one. That's the problem. People would buy a resale home if they could find one. The only ones that are coming on the market are pretty rare, so they're going for big money. We saw this actually a glimpse of it for about six months last year, year before, in the car business. There were actually some used cars that were selling for more than a new car. You're looking to buy a 2021, I don't know, maybe a, at the time, Jeep Wrangler was a hot car. Might be $45,000. There were one or two-year-old Jeep Wranglers with 10,000 miles on it that were selling for 46, 47, a couple thousand more than a new one. Why would anybody do that? Because there weren't any new ones. So if you had to get one, guess what? You're paying. Same thing with homes. If you have to get one and there are no used ones, and you know, look, new construction only exists in certain parts of the country, in certain parts of each city, I should say. You can't automatically buy a new home in the place you want. There's houses in the place you want, but they might not be building new houses there. There might only be resale. So if you want to be near your job, near the highway there might not be new houses currently being built there you might have to wait for a resale and if that's important you might have to pay through the nose for it mortgage rates hovering around seven percent homeowners are holding on to their homes holding on they're clinging like we said before squeezing the supply home builders are willing to sell more affordable smaller houses and that's part of it you know builders can build different size houses a, a resale home is only as big as it was when it was first built so that's the deal with homes. Now, what does that what does that predict for the market? Well, I'll tell you what Zillow says. Zillow is so sure home prices have bottomed out, it's issued a bullish call for these markets. So Zillow, who should know, right? They're, they monitor all the, the houses for sale, how long houses are on the market. They track it all. They're so sure home prices have bottomed. Now, for a few years, many of us and you have said, there's a housing crash coming. Prices are going to crash. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But when is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? A lot of the prediction for the housing crash came from people who observed 2008 housing crash. Remember that? That wasn't that long ago. 15 years ago, 2008 housing crash. Think about that. Many of us who are adults saw that happen in real life. So almost like watching a movie, you say, well, housing prices went up, then they crashed. Well, in 2019 and 20, housing prices went up. They must have to crash again. I saw this movie before. Well, just because something happened in a movie doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Same thing with housing. Housing prices did go up in 2020 and 21 for that matter. And everybody knee-jerk reaction. Well, now they're going to crash just like in 2008 or they're too much money. Well, is that true? Do they have to just because it happened before? Maybe, maybe not. The question isn't what happened. The question is it why did it happen? In 2008, housing prices went up because they were passing out mortgages like candy. Anybody could get a mortgage. I can remember in 2005, I was buying a house for the purpose of fixing it up staying in it for a year or two, and then selling it. It wasn't necessarily a flip house per se. It was more 
I wanted to live in this area. This house wasn't exactly what I wanted, but it was a good opportunity because it needed a little bit of work and it could be a good place to live while it was being worked on and then resell it. I remember going and talking to the, the mortgage person who actually became a pretty good friend. And he said, you know, you can buy more than one house. If you're going to fix up this house and sell it, why not buy a couple other ones and fix them up at the same time and sell it? I said, what do you mean? You know, mortgage, I can only get one house. No, 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 no. The market right now, based on your income, your credit, you could buy like five or six houses. So buy this house, wait a couple months. You can buy another one. I'll get you a mortgage. You don't need any money down. You can use the equity from your first house. And he said, you can buy five or six houses. So they were handing out mortgages left and right. Now, that's what made the real estate go up. In 2020 or 21, that's not the case. You, They're not handing out mortgages left and right. In fact, they're very highly scrutinizing every single mortgage application, income, credit, job stability, all the whole nine yards, appraisal value. So prices went up in spite of that. Why did they go up? Well, there's a, a, a genuine demand. Unlike 2008, where it was just like any cab driver, no offense to cab drivers or hairdressers, no offense, offense to hairdressers, could get a house way above their income. Now you have to really, really qualify. House, house prices still went up. Why is that in 2023? Well, because there was a shortage of homes. That 2008 crash, 2009, 10, 11, 12, had a, a domino effect, an echo effect. Builders shut down. Builders shut down. From about 2009 to 2012 or 13, builders said, no way. I'm not building any houses. I got burned. I lost money. I went bankrupt. Nobody's buying houses. So for about five years, the new home construction industry was done. Five years. And that wasn't that long ago. That was... 10 years ago. Well, now that inventory that now would be coming into the market to satisfy the use home market, it's not there. And the population has swelled, right? New home, uh, home household uh, formation, not enough houses. So that's where the buildup came from. So now the house price goes up. You think it's going to crash? Well, guess what now they're saying? That crash of new house prices or, or new and used for that matter all real estate already happened we blinked we missed it you know when it happened it happened in february of 2023 january february housing prices leveled off maybe in some places dropped down a little bit and that was it you blinked you missed it two months maybe three months in some places that was the crash folks that was your crash you wanted to see it there it was Rewind the tape. You have to see it again. Don't don't blink. You're going to miss it. It's a big deal. What's also going to hurt home buyers going forward is another factor, and that is other types of prices are going up. What kind of prices? Well, one of them has to do with insurance. Home insurers are charging more and insuring less. This is not just in Hurricane Florida, Wildfire, California, right? Other places. It's all over the country. Double digit premium hikes, drones looking at yards. We saw an article a couple weeks ago where some guy had some tires in his backyard. The insurance company sent drone over to look at his house. They saw tires, they flat canceled them. Can't have tires in the yard. They're raising deductibles. Look, you want a, a um, homeowner's policy instead of 
a $2,000 deductible, you have a 10% deductible. So if you have a $400,000 house, instead of a two or $5,000 deductible, you have a four hundred or a $40,000 deductible. So the first 40 grand of damage, it's on you. Think about that. As I always say, broken record, I'll bet you have an opinion about that. So let's suppose in double digit premium hike. So there's some parts of the country that house insurance is about 1% of the value of the house. So if you have a $500,000 house, it's five grand a year for insurance. Double digit, that's at least 10%. So it's gonna go up 500 bucks. Now you're spending $500 a month on average. So when you go to qualify for your mortgage, you're gonna look and say, well, how much is insurance gonna cost? And they gotta add that into your debt ratio. May not be able to qualify. Forget HOA. Also taxes, property taxes. We're seeing moves to put more of the risk back onto the homeowner. More risk on homeowner. Keywords, four words, more risk on homeowner. How does that come? Tougher underwriting restrictions, meaning that before they give you a policy, they're going to check you out left and right. Check the house out left and right. Does it have a new roof? Does it have outdated plumbing? You live in a flood zone. Higher cost, lower coverage. Extends well beyond Florida and California. Didn't I just say that? Other states prone to hurricanes, floods, wildfires. Well, what states aren't prone to something? Floods. I don't think anywhere is safe right now. I don't think anywhere is safe right now. Now, you can blame the insurance companies, and sure, there's blame to go around. But part of the problem is, look, they set their rates based on what they pay, right? It's not really just magic spin spin the wheel on on uh, wheel of fortune and wherever it lands that's what the rates are right they have to use what's called proper underwriting to set their rates actuarials loss runs and they have to file those with the state so when you put out your rates for your homeowners policies as an insurance company you go by what your previous years losses were and sometimes there's a little bit of a delay so for example when you set your rates for let's say 2023 you file your rates with the state you have to go on your last full years worth of loss runs well you might not have 2022 loss runs yet because you have to file those things with the state before the beginning of 2023 just as an example so let's say 2023 you have you want to have your rates take effect january 1st But in order to have January 1st rates, you also have to file those maybe 90 days in advance with the insurance commissioner in that state. So you have to file it in September of 2022. You're not going to have 2022 loss runs yet, so you have to go back to 2021. So you're always two years behind in what your loss runs are. So when those loss runs kick in, they're going to be a little bit lag to your actual rates, and that's going to affect consumers. Losses for home insurance companies continue to pile up. So the insurance companies are paying out. It's not like they're just, you know, they make money. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that insurance business is a good business. But they, the more they pay out claims, the more that they have to charge. Now, of course, you want them to pay claims, right? That's what they're there for. So the more that they pay, the more they charge. Storms, natural disasters, inflation, supply chain have sent claims spiraling Many insurers are still in the red despite increases, and that's because of the delay. If you have sharp claims increases in 2021, you can't start to recoup those until two years later. So in the meantime, you're you're on the hook. Now, 
I know some of you are saying, look, I'm not shedding any tears for insurance companies. That's fine. You don't have to, right? But just be aware that they serve a purpose. They're there to be the risk coverage for policyholders. So the question is, do you want it to pay out a lot or do you want to have lower premiums, right? That's that's what the trade-off is. You want it to pay out a lot to you when you have a loss, but not charge you a lot, right? It's just math. That's what insurance companies are. It's a big math problem. They accumulate all the risk from a lot of people in terms of potential risk. They evaluate that risk based on history. They charge premiums based on that, your insurance payment. And then when there's a loss to some of the people, because not everybody has a loss, they pay to that person based on that. So you want them to be there. You want them to be healthy. You don't want to pay too much. So always think about that. I mean, the insurance company, you know, seems like the bad guy when you're paying the premiums. And sometimes they feel like the bad guy when you're getting your claims adjusted, but they're just trying to make sure the claim is correct. They're not necessarily trying to make it as low as possible. They want it to match the policy. Whatever policy you have, they want your claim payout to match what's on the policy. No more, no less. Most legitimate insurance companies, they don't want to rip you off on a claim, right? They might try to shade a little bit. And some of the insurance companies do. We had a case on our investigative side where there was damage to a vehicle. And we saw the insurance company very intentionally trying to coerce the body shop to make the claim lower. So it can happen. So I'm not painting everybody with a brush, but in general, the insurers want to have proper claims paid out. Now, you might have to fight for it a little bit. Maybe you shouldn't have to, but that's just how it works. So insurance companies are cutting their they're cutting their coverages in advance. They're not cutting their claims, but they're just cover, cutting what's covered. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about a different type of insurance, which you probably don't even have right now. You probably don't even have this insurance, but it's very likely that you will have a loss or a claim because of this risk in the next few years. It's very likely you will have some damage or loss to you or your finances or your business, and you don't have coverage for this, almost guaranteed, because it's a relatively new thing. So be back on the other side of this very, very quick break. All right, told you to be right back. Just kind of regroup here for a minute. Let's think about what is on your mind after all this. You probably have some opinions about what we talked about, whether it's insurance, whether it's AI taking jobs, whether it's real estate, while we're finishing up our production editing for our next segment here. What are those thoughts, right? What are those thoughts? Even in the course of, of you know, making this video, we keep notes. We do notes all the time. I'm sure you have the same type of things that come to mind. We want this to be a collaborative conversation, right? There's there's a place you can put comments. You can put messages. In fact, we're going to have an event. Keep an eye on the channel that will be even more. I guess interactive. We're going to have some webinars where you can attend, ask questions. It'll be live. So keep an eye on the channel. Go to Actual Human and go to Describe TV. The links will be there. We'll have announcements for those within the next day or two for how to access those. They're going to be free to begin with. They're going to be totally free. You can ask experts. You can ask your questions. You can talk to other participants. But that's going to be a more in real time collaborative thing. In the meantime, though, get your opinion out there. We all have opinions. We all want to be heard. 
We all want to have our our thoughts available for other people to see. Not necessarily to have an argument, but the only way to understand what's happening with other people is to hear what they have to say and let them hear what you have to say. That's the way to get a more open dialogue of communication. Look, not everything you see or hear is you're going to agree with, and that's fine. And what you say, not everybody's going to agree with, but at least hear it out and think about where that person came from. Most people who have a different opinion than you, they're not evil people. They just have, they come to it from a different place, maybe different experience. Maybe some people have thought about something more or less. Maybe somebody's just listening to a friend of theirs that they trust. Maybe they have bad information. Maybe you have bad information, right? Always look at the fact that if there are two differences of opinion, those are normally two well-meaning people both coming to the same place with two completely different points of view. And even if you don't agree with the other point of view, one thing you should be curious about is how did you get there? How did you get to that point of view? We're talking to a colleague this week about perspectives, point of view, all those things. And they were saying, well, you know, the way I approach it is if I have an opinion and the other person doesn't agree, I ask them, is there anything I could say that would change your mind? Is there any data that I could tell you that would you know, make you have a different opinion. If they say no, I just walk away. I don't waste my time. That's fine. That's that's an option. But what I, what my question was is ask that person, why not? If you have a hard opinion, lined in the sand, cement is dry, adamant, and somebody comes to you and says, oh, here's some information that's factually true that, you know, I'm, that's not my opinion, that proves that that's not the case, why wouldn't you agree with it? Is it because you just stubbornly want to stick to it that you think they're lying, right? So, you know, if I said, I believe two plus two is four, and somebody says, I can prove to you that two plus two equals five, well, how did you get there, right? I at least want to know how you got there. Maybe I still want to agree with it, but if I know how you got there, I'll understand humans and how they form their opinions. That's what it's all about. Back to the regular, regularly scheduled program. So here's the insurance we're talking about. This is a big deal. This is something that as of right now, you probably do not have insurance for this, cyber insurance. However, it's almost certain that you will have some type of cyber attack, cyber event, cyber loss within the next three, four years. That's what the experts say. Most businesses are have attempted attacks every day, a couple times a day. Now, 90% of them never get through because you have maybe firewalls, you have, you know, a cyber defense programs on your computer, protection software, but it's almost certain that your company or your home computer or anywhere else has a vulnerability, has a gap that you don't know about. Not your fault. You just don't know about it. The hackers keep trying, they keep pinging, they keep banging away at this at the servers, at the network every single day. See all these computers back here. I'm sure right now there's hackers trying to get into them. So at some point they're going to get through. Either they find a vulnerability that's not protected or they invent one or they use some kind of social engineering to get in one way or another. And what they're gonna do is they're gonna lock up your computer, they're gonna take your data, they're going to hold you hostage. If you're a business, they're going to say, look, you're not going to get back in your computers until you pay us ransom. So there's a thing called cyber insurance. 
cyber protection. Now, you can hire an IT person to protect your computers. You should do that, too. But cyber insurance kicks in. If you do have a loss, they pay something. And it depends on the policy, what they're going to pay, what they're not going to pay. Just like we talked about before with homeowners insurance, every policy is different. So you want to make sure you get the policy that is good for you. Look, you see right here, cyber or risk coverage. We sell insurance, right? It's probably We're probably not going to sell it to you because we only sell it in a few states. We're here more to give you information on it. Talk to your own broker or decide not to get it. We just want to put it out there that this is a thing. How does it work? Well, here's another big difference with cyber insurance. If you buy insurance for your car, let's say, crash insurance for your car, let's call it that, crash insurance. That's what it insures against. They just say, well, if you get in a crash, we'll pay you. They don't, every single day, try to keep you from getting in a crash. They don't you know, stand in front of your car and say, don't go over here, drive over here, watch out. They're not there doing that, right? It sounds stupid. It sounds silly. With cyber insurance, they, when I say they, many insurance companies that provide cyber, in addition to having insurance, also has a built-in protection for your devices. When you buy insurance, they will first audit your system. See what it says right here? Audit the system. And they will check out to make sure that you have the proper protections on your system, on your network, right? Yeah, it was a dog barking. So in addition to doing the audit, before they write the policy, they're going to make sure that you don't have anything that's a nightmare, a train wreck in your network. They're going to make sure that anything that needs to be patched is patched. Is that a painful necessity? Probably is. Or valuable opportunity? Probably is. Here they say it's an either or. We think it's both. Is it going to be painful? Yeah, maybe not painful. It's going to be a, going to be inconvenient because you're going to have to give them access to your computers, let them check everything out. But here's the good news. After you buy that policy, they will probably install some things on your network or some monitoring so that if somebody is trying to attack your network, they will find out about it long before you do and protect it. So it's kind of like having like, you know, that crash insurance on a car, like a personal traffic cop directing traffic, telling you, don't pull in front of this. Don't crash into this guy. Watch out over here. That's what the cyber insurance is probably going to do. Again, depending on the policy, make sure that, you know, you're you're reading your policy. You're talking to your broker about what you're going to get or not get. Why do they do this? Well, you probably figured it out. They don't want to pay any more claims than they have to. Now, they're not going to rip you off if you get a claim, right? That's what they're there for but they are going to help avoid them for you in advance. They're going to avoid it. That's what you want to do. You want to avoid it. Why do you want to avoid it? Well, you might say, well, who cares? If I have a claim, they'll just pay it. Well, they'll pay it, but of course there's a deductible and there's inconvenience. You don't want to have a claim if you can avoid it. So let them do their job and have some protection built in. If they're monitoring those pinging, well, here's why. This is a key thing for insurance. Most attacks do not get through on the first try. They try and try and they try to get in, they get blocked and they try again. So if they catch them on the first try, they can block the other tries. How significant are these attacks? Well, ask the American military. Malware, malware, depending on how you pronounce it, is attacking intelligent officials from China to disrupt American deployments. So if the U.S. military, with all of their resources, is vulnerable to being disrupted, what chance do you have? You got to watch out for this stuff. 
China, and so malware against systems in Guam, major military hub. Do you need to worry about it? Well, you know, on the one hand, you're not the military, so you're not a high value target. But the perpetrator of this was allegedly some major government organization trying to attack the U.S. military. That major government organization is not going to try to attack your laptop, right? Your Dell laptop is not at risk from being attacked by some major corporate, some major government agency. However, your Dell laptop may be at risk from some hacker living somewhere in another part of the world, sitting in his basement, banging away at your server. At the same time, he's trying to bang away at tens of thousands of servers, just taking IP addresses, running them through a scroll and hitting every IP address they can. You have an IP address. It's the number of your computer network. So the hackers just go through all the IP addresses one after another until they find one that they can get in, right? And it could be yours. Could be yours. So think about it. You're probably going to get attacked in the next two or three years. You probably don't have any coverage for it. You're more likely to get attacked with that than you are to crash your car, probably, according to the experts, allegedly, as they say. So the last subject that we'll touch on briefly is our old friend, our old friend, electric vehicles. So it's getting big time now. Rev up the electricity industry. Well, as we know, Elon Musk has Tesla, EV company, EV car company. What do you think about EVs, pro or con, for or against? I'm sure it's a strong opinion. You're probably not in the middle. As always, have definitely tell us and tell the world in the comments. It's such an important pursuit for those in the industry and government that now what's the next thing Elon Musk wants to do? He's trying to have enough juice because battery power vehicles will triple by 45. He anticipates an electricity shortage in two years. Anticipates an electricity shortage in two years that could stunt AI, but also EVs. There's your quote. Electricity shortage in two years. So this has to do with EVs, as we always talk about, but also has to do with AI. It has to do with, you know, your personal finance. It has to do with a lot of things. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to basically build more power grid. My biggest concern is insufficient urgency. He tells energy executives, he's telling the power companies, come on, you got to go faster. There's some places that already have some minor blackouts, brownouts, or they're asking you not to use a lot of electricity. This is happening right now already. Two years, they say it's going to be a problem. You really need to bring the timescale of projects in sooner and have a high sense of urgency. He told PG&E. He's played a part of Cassandra, trying to spark more attention, a metaphor for historical uh, fables required for his EV and AI future. So self-interest in this EV and AI, he's into both of those and can't emphasize enough. We need more electricity. However much electricity you think we need more than that is needed. Another good quote. You think he's under track or you think he's kind of like sky is falling chicken little. Do you think we need more electricity or do you think we'll have enough when, when times need it? Last thing about EVs. Key test for EV sales is coming. Hmm, what does that mean? General Motors said it will double EV production second half of the year. So 
look, they're not playing around. They're not just going up 5 or 10%. They're going to double EV production in the second half of the year, not just like over time, in, in half a year, less than a year. They say predicting fall rollouts will show how well EVs are expanding beyond enthusiasts. What that means is just the regular EV climate type enthusiasts, nerd type people, they're not the only ones. They're going to be more in the mainstream. But there's some cracks in the armor. Inventory is up. Tesla's cutting prices. Ford is slowing its EV ramp up. Cautionary notes. Some on Wall Street think near-term EV demand will disappoint. So here you go. It's Wall Street thinks it'll disappoint. General Motors disagree. There's a battle. The question's going to be, that's where the article's going with this, key tests for EV sales. What's going to happen over the next year? So start watching, and you can watch it on this channel. What are the EV sales numbers in the second half of this year, third and fourth quarters, and the first quarter of 24? And we'll see where that needle's going. You know, the needle is going up, up, up on EVs. There's a little bit of a blip. We don't know where it's going. Maybe it's a head fake and it's going to go back up. Maybe it's going to crash. Maybe it's going to level out. Who knows? But that's going to be the key. At the same time, there will be external forces trying to make that happen one way or another. Here's the problem. I shouldn't say problem, but it's, it's a reality. There will be forces trying to boost artificially EV sales. The manufacturers, the government, electric companies, media will all be trying to boost EV sales to try to give it a jump start. Nobody's going to be pushing it back except for people who are non-buyers. People don't want to buy them. So you may find that they're going to use carrot and the stick. If you're not really that interested in buying an EV, they're going to keep throwing incentives at it. Right now, it's 7500 at least. Some states, it's even more than that. There's some states you can combine the federal, state, local, and utility incentives and come up with like 15000 worth of incentives. So that's the carrot. The stick is, if you don't buy one, we're going to start penalizing you. Higher gas prices, higher taxes, less inventory. Some manufacturers are, are starting to restrict gasoline vehicle inventories at dealers and only have EVs. General Motors is acting as if it can withstand a shakeout in the EV world. This is, this is the battle. This is the battle. It's the popcorn moment. They have dozens of EV models over the next few years. It's really the next six, 12 months on which they'll be judged. So, popcorn moment. Pay attention. This is when it's going to rubber meets the road. No pun intended, or maybe it is, to see where this will all play out. You have an opinion. I know you do. So, let's hear what it is. Last subject we'll talk about briefly is... On the investigative side, our investigative agency, Active Intel, we're seeing a lot more fraud cases in family law type events. So if you or somebody you know has an event going on in their family, a divorce, a death in the family, even a birth of a child, advise people around them to pay very close attention to the activities. Here's our, our website, Active Intel. You can read more there. There is a lot of fraud happening amongst family members with these events. Now, of course, in a divorce, you might expect it. Those two people are conflicting. They're fighting amongst themselves. They're both trying to get as much as they can. So what they're going to do is they're going to hide assets. You're going to hide a bank account. You're going to take money out of a bank account. You're going to put a lien on the house. You're going to 
lower your income so you don't have to pay as much maintenance, right? You're going to do all kinds of things. That's normal, but pay attention to it because if you're entering into a divorce procedure, you may find that the other party was planning for this for a while in advance, six months, a year sometimes. So they may have created another bank account, started putting money over there, putting money in their friend's bank account. So you want to get good asset searching done, asset tracing done to make sure you're not missing out in money that's coming due to you. Now, that's not right, but it's expected between two people that at that point are adversarial, acrimonious with each other. What about probate fraud? Well, if you are in a family where somebody has recently deceased, that person may have left assets in a will or bequeathed to other people in that family or outside the family for that matter. And what happens when somebody dies is sometimes people who are close to that person, family members or otherwise, will say, well, look, this is a free-for-all, right? It's kind of like in the stores when they do the looting. Whatever assets are available, people are going to just try to grab and hide them. If there's an old car in a barn, they may take it and put it somewhere. If there's a bank account nobody knows about, they may clean it out. If there's you know, even a set of antique silverware that's worth you know, $800, they'll grab it. We've seen many probate frauds in the hundreds of thousands. People have taken bank accounts, even property, even real estate. Maybe you know somebody who lives near the deceased person knows that there's this empty lot that they bought 10 years ago that's worth 100000 They could claim deed it to themselves. Nobody knows about it. The worst part about these are these are scams and frauds against other people in the family that they still have to be family members with. Maybe they, they, they like them but they're still going to steal their money. So make sure you get a good audit trail of any family event, deceased owner, even somebody who's being incapacitated, has Alzheimer's or dementia, or they're terminally ill and they're going to die. People start grabbing money then. They figure, oh, they're not looking. I'm going to grab money. Look at these things. We get, you know, 10 or 15 inquiries a week on these, on this probate fraud type deal. And Almost all the time we find some asset that's been improperly shaved, put somewhere else. And these are people in the same family most of the time. So these frauds are rampant. Another type of fraud that you'll see in family cases is when there's somebody who has a baby, you know, new addition to the family. There may be scammers that know about this that will open accounts in that name because they know that nobody's going to really be paying attention. So the person's born, they get a social security number, they have a name, they have an address. They will start opening up accounts so they can use that synthetic identity to do other things. Sometimes it's a family member, sometimes it's not. So run credit checks, run asset checks on a newly born baby. Usually wait about a year. Probably won't start showing up for six to eight months or a year. But we're seeing a lot more of those scams too. Once again, we're glad to have you here. Make sure to pay attention to our channel for notices. We're going to start having these live events, these webinars. And also, don't forget, you have opinions about these things, just like we do. We're not the only ones with opinions. We know you have opinions, too. Uh, tell us what yours are, because that's all part of the fun, is to know what people think, to know what each other thinks, so we can all talk about it a little bit more deeply and intelligently in future videos. Are you tired of automated systems and chatbots when you need assistance? 
experienceactualhuman.com and connect with real professionals, not automation. At actualhuman.com, we bring you a network of professionals who are excited to answer your questions and provide guidance. Getting started is easy. Let us show you how. Here's how it works. Step one, select the best date and time for your video call. Step two, describe your situation and the areas you're looking for advice. Step three, connect one-on-one -on -one with an expert and get the undivided attention that you deserve. 